Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening and watching the Italian American Entertainment Pop- Podcast. And I'm your host, Vince Shirelli. And today I'll be interviewing Frank Cacharo. And Frank has uh, been performing professionally as a musician for many years and as a singer and a bassist, and also serves as the entertainment chairperson and main stage manager for the Ulster County Italian American Foundation's annual Italian festival. So, welcome, Frank. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay, Vince. How are you? Pretty good, and uh, thanks for jumping on on a, a Sunday morning with me. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, you as well. You know, like with everything that's going on, this is as close as we can get. So uh, it's, it's nice to see you this morning. You know? <laughs> yeah, you too. Yeah, it's. Uh, can't believe it's been over a year since uh, we were together out at your festival. It seems like yesterday. Yeah. It's crazy how fast uh, this year went. <laughs> yeah, like- when things... Things are crazy. I think things seem to move a little bit faster, you know. Yeah, exactly. But uh, so since this is about uh, Italian-Americans, I usually start this with where you're located now, but uh, how you trace your Italian ancestry. Well, I live in upstate New York. I mean, right now I'm I'm coming to you via Zoom from Woodstock, New York, which is where I've lived for about the past 30 years. I'm from Kingston, New York, which is upstate New York. Uh, My family emigrated here uh, from actually from Kansas in the early mid thirties, uh, 1930s. So uh, they, uh, my, my dad's family came through Brazil. Uh, they were, uh, my entire family's Calabrese. My grandpa was an Apolitan. Uh, he was raised in Calabria, uh, my pater- my maternal grandfather. Uh, and uh, so my maternal grandfather, he was the shoemaker here in Woodstock for about 30 years from sometime in the late 30s to the to the mid 60s. Uh, the other side of my family, my grandfather's family immigrated from Italy to Brazil. Uh, when my grandfather was a boy, he was born in, I think it was 1889. And uh, he, he was raised in Brazil. They moved to Kansas. Uh, as you know, Vince, because you're from the Midwest, right? There's right. a lot of Italians in the Midwest. And, uh, uh, but a bunch of the, uh, my uh my father's mother's family had settled in the New York area. Uh, both my uh, great grand, my great uncle and my great aunt on my dad's side uh, were both bar owners locally. They both had very popular, you know, uh, establishments, not only for, you know, restaurant bars, but they were catering halls and, and catered to mostly Italians. So uh, my, my family settled in upstate New York at that point, And uh, this branch has been there ever since. Very cool. Yeah. It's a, uh... The first time I actually have been to upstate New York is when I came to perform for you guys, and it's uh, it's beautiful up there. It's definitely different than <laughs> Manhattan and the city. That that was really all I had ever seen of New York. So when we took that hour and a half drive up, it was like, wow, this is a different world up here. It's beautiful. So It, it is absolutely. We had uh, relatives when I was a boy visit us from Kansas, where my dad was born and raised. <laughs> and uh, he thought the entire state was the city. You know, he <laughs> right. thought he was just going to see blocks and blocks of buildings when he came upstate. And there's lots of natural right. beauty. I, I live in the Catskills. So uh, the Catskill Mountains, the Adirondack Mountains, the Finger Lake region, New York's an absolutely beautiful state. It is. Yeah, no, it was very beautiful. We, uh, Frank, Tony and I, we had a, a great time, you know, the one day we were there looking around. So, uh, but anyways, so what, I, what I'm doing with this podcast, you know, is focusing on, uh, entertainers, uh, any Italian American in the entertainment industry, but, uh, you know, the one avenue most of us have, especially in the music business anymore as Italian Americans to perform Italian music is at Italian festivals. So, uh, part of this, I want to start, uh, you know, featuring different Italian festivals around the country that are still going. And I thought of you, especially you're a musician as well. So you kind of fall both sides so we could talk entertainment and, uh, you know, the festival. But uh, so you you're a part of the Ulster County Italian American uh, Foundation, which runs the uh, annual Italian Fest. And uh, why don't you tell everybody about your festival um, if you guys, uh, what you do as the foundation, I, I, I've been following your Facebook page um, and you guys, I know you have a radio show. And so you guys are doing quite a quite a bit up there promoting Italians and Italian Americans. So why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about uh, your foundation and the festival? Well, the Ulster County Italian American Foundation, I think it was around 2015 that Tony Marmo, who uh, you've met, uh, Tony mm-hmm. was the foundation president for a long time and he's the founder uh, you know, because the, the fact that the one of the largest ethnic groups, uh, actually the largest ethnic group in Ulster County for a long time has been Italian-Americans. Uh, we number 
about 35,000 in Ulster County, which I think is about 16 to 18% of the population. I didn't bring my specs with me today. But uh, Tony said, you know, the, the ancient order of the Hibernians had a very, very strong uh, Irish foundation in town. And they also run an annual event called the Huli on the Hudson, which, which just draws tens of thousands of people every year. It's usually a weekend long event. Uh, and the Italian fest had kind of fallen by the wayside uh, throughout the early part of the, the last decade. The, the restaurateurs in the Rondout area, which is the waterfront area of Kingston, where you performed for us last year, mm -hmm. uh, they had taken over the festival, but it kind of lost its ethnic flair. It kind of lost its cultural roots. Uh, it was more of a, you know, of a reason to bring people to the Strand to, to you know, participate and to share, but didn't have a lot to do with the culture. So when the Ulster County Italian American Foundation was formed, one of the first things we started thinking about was, well, Ulster County, seeing that we have one of the largest, you know, the Italian Americans are one of the largest demographic in the area, we should have our own festival mm -hmm. and we should be in charge of it and we should run it. So the first year uh, we took it on, uh, it was done on a shoestring because we, you know, the foundation was brand new. We'd our coffers were not really that full. And as you know, it costs a lot of money to put on these festivals. They're very difficult. And uh, the uh, Ulster County Italian Mer American Foundation is a 5013C, which means that we're not for profit. So, you know, all of our donations, all the money that we raise either comes through fundraisers, our festival, or from donations and sponsorships from, <clears throat> from local businesses and, uh, and individuals. So uh, in 2015, we decided to do it. It was kind of low key. We had borrowed the stage from the ancient order of Hibernians, which they used annually, which is you know local stage, easy to put up. It wasn't the stage you played on, okay? okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of a little lower end than that. And uh, the first year we didn't, you know, we, we always chose the, the Sunday before Columbus Day, uh, you know, Columbus Day, which I know has become a, a flashpoint for yeah. certain, uh, you know, certain groups that, that want to point and say, you know, that, that that's, we shouldn't be celebrating that. But once again, October, for those of you who don't know and who are listening, is Italian American Heritage Month. So there's no better day for us to do it is this the Sunday, is that Sunday before Columbus Day. And I think we started, that's October, we started planning in June for the first festival. We didn't really have a lot of time to throw things together. We had really just, my first meeting that I did with the Italian Foundation, I think was that April. So we were able to pull together a festival in short order. We had a good amount of vendors, a smaller stage, a smaller production, uh, but uh, we found that we drew about 7,000 people that weekend. Now, we were blessed because we had really good weather. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, as you can see, because since you were there performing, we've been able to grow on that. We've been able to expand on what we've done. And, uh, I mean, I, I personally would like, okay, being the entertainment chair, I'm going to say I'd like to think that I, like, putting on a world-class show at a real local budget, <laughs> which is what I attempt to do. Right. But uh, we've been able to pull in some great talent. And a lot of it comes, like we found out about you, Vince, was from word of mouth, for people contacting us and saying, you know, I saw this young man perform at an Italian fest, and he was just amazing. Please bring him to your festival. And uh, I'm glad we got to meet that way, because you, yeah. you came, and, you know, last year you were able to do two sets for us, which was great. You, you played the main stage. Uh, with a with a full band and then did the acoustic set which luckily i was able to sneak away from the main stage because a little busy that day and yeah. Uh, yeah your performance was excellent so oh, well, well thank you and uh you know uh your festival it's it's hard to come by i've played many festivals in this country around the whole country you know east coast west coast all over and uh it's getting far and few between you know to to really find the ones that are sticking to the authenticity of being italian and you guys definitely did a good job especially with the entertainment you know the big part of an italian festival is food and entertainment and sometimes they hit it with the food and sometimes the entertainment is country bands and you don't know, hear an italian band and you guys you hit it on both you know cylinders you, you you tried to appeal to everybody but kept it authentic so that was a that was a great thing that you guys did so um and i'm sure are going to continue doing it that way so um how how did you then get involved in the foundation uh did you, you know, Tony from like, uh, 
from before and it was just a phone call or how, how did you guys, how did you guys really get, uh, how did you get pulled into this? You know, I, I've known Tony socially for quite some time, but I forget where I got the news of that first meeting. It was held at the, uh, at a hall, the, uh, St. Mary's Benevolent Association, which is, you know, an Italian association that's connected to, uh, St. Mary's Roman Catholic church here in, in Kingston. And, uh, they rented the hall and I forget, Get who told me about it, but it was a small affair. I wouldn't say that small of an affair. We, our first, it was either the second, I think that was the second meeting. We had about 50, 60 interested people. Uh, instead of, you know, going to a restaurant and there being a cover, some of the members actually came together and cooked that day. There was a great homemade meal and we got to sit and talk. And uh, it was at that meeting that we decided, you know, we should take over the festival. We should represent ourselves. The uh, the Irish have the Huli, which uh, they do such a wonderful job at every year. I mean, it's just, they do several stages and um, it just, the draw to Kingston's amazing. And we thought, you know, it, we need to have an Italian fest since we are one of the largest ethnic groups in Ulster County. So, uh, and the thing is, is like you said, we were able to hang on to the cultural flavor of what we're doing. We're able to actually have it be a real Italian fest, not just Italian food, <laughs> not just Italian music, but also celebrating Italian culture, Italian heritage, Italian traditions. And I have to say that that comes from a very, very good team that, that, that is put together that runs this every year. And, um, you know, they say many hands make light work. Uh, we have, you know, fundraising committee. We have a cultural committee, a membership committee, a vendors committee. We have all these committees that work together with the main theme being how can we show people ab about our our culture not only bring them down to celebrate it like we like to celebrate with food and drink and each other each other's company you know and to share a glass of wine share a cigar share a little espresso listen to a little music and talk because we all know we like to talk right, ben? Yeah, right. oh yeah and uh the, the team that we put together is able to keep that that whole theme that whole cultural theme like alive and i i think that's one of the one of the most special things that, that it brings, uh, you know, uh, we have Anna Brett, who's been our committee chairperson for several years. Um, she was a retired teacher and school administrator here in Kingston. And, uh, and her husband uh, is actually very, very involved in the ancient order of Hibernians. Her last name is Brett, but her maiden name was Palazzo. And, uh, and, um, so uh, we've got both sides. As a matter of fact, Ken, her husband, comes to most of our meetings and kind of gives us what the Hibernians are doing or have. And because you know, we all have to use the same space. We all have to. Right. We all deal with the same things. You're, I, I, you know, you come and I know you perform at these, but I don't know if you're aware of some of the the some of the logistics that go oh, yeah. into no, to actually. Uh, yeah, I've put on uh, my own Italian festival here in Rockford, Illinois, for three years. Uh, so, and it's a it's a one day, and so I. I totally get it, especially, you know, the, the uh, we didn't want to do a three-day uh, full weekend, let's say, uh, we the guy, uh, Benny and I, who put it on together for, uh, we did, couldn't do it this year, of course, but we're like, let's just do a one-day thing, and it's just like, man, all that effort to go into, you know, 10 a.m. to 9 p.m., uh, you know, we... It's very tough. Uh, a lot of people don't realize <laughs> all the, the back end work that goes into this, you know, power and, you know, tents and everything and uh, the health department with all the permitting. And it's uh, it's it's a lot of work. So, um, you know, it's I knew it before. And then, you know, seeing uh, the stress on the festival organizers faces when we're the band there trying to perform. But then, you know, now doing both sides of it. It's, uh, I have a lot of respect for all you guys that have been doing it for all these years and, you know, all these old timers too, you know, these 80 year old men that I still see involved and they've been doing it since like the sixties and seventies, putting on these festivals. It's just like, man, they have the heart to really keep doing this and that's great. But, uh, um, it's tough and this year made it tougher and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. I want to touch on, on your, uh, personal background too. So, um, you're a musician and, uh, I believe you told me you're, a bassist, that's correct, correct, right? Yes. Last year. Yep. Uh, yep. And uh, so when did you start performing music? Oh, geez. I started performing when I was about six. 
I, uh, my dad found a piano by the roadside one day. My parents are not music; were not musical people at all. Okay. It was great. I used to love to go to church with them and hear them sing because I kind of would stare at them, going, "You guys not realize that you're not singing <laughs> in key, right? You realize that you're not singing the melody, right? I mean, they were they were bad, but they loved music. My parents were both avid dancers. Um, my dad loves to tell me that the story that one of his first dates with my mom, he took her to New York City to see Nat, the Nat King Cole trio. Uh, and my dad would say, Frank, he'd sit in the room and he'd point to the wall, you know, that in the room that we're in, he says, I was that far away from Nat King Cole with your mom and we were watching him perform. He had a deep, deep love of music. And then, and it's funny, the things that I remember when I was about three, he came home with the Beatles' second album. He was like, you know, I heard these guys on the radio and they got some sound and I really like it. And that was it. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. my mom had been playing classical music for me while I was a child, when I was in the crib, because it would calm me, uh, which I find it does the same for my granddaughter, which I have uh -huh. a new granddaughter. So that's, oh, you know, congratulations. And uh, my dad found an old beat. Uh, thank you. My dad found an old beat up piano on the side of the road and he brought it home and had it cleaned up and had it tuned. And I started pecking out tunes and my parents decided they would get me piano lessons. So I took rudimentary piano lessons when I was young. I didn't really go that far. I learned the scales. I learned what chords were. And then in second grade, I went to St. Mary's Catholic School in Kingston at the time. They offered guitar lessons, which I thought was, you know, we're talking, this is 19, I'm going to date myself here, Vince. Okay. <laughs> this is like 1968. And uh, so I learned guitar. I, I picked up an acoustic guitar. I learned the basic uh, chords, you know, the, the not, not bar chords or anything fancy, but all your basic chords. And then I would say until I was about 12, I put it down again until I picked back the picked the piano back up and started going a little bit further in the piano until one of my brother's friends dropped a bass guitar off with a small Fender amp at the house. I think it was a Fender Music uh, with What's the, the real beginner's model? The, 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 oh, the Squire? Thunder yeah, Squire. no, it wasn't even the Squire. It was oh. before then. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was before the Squire line. Yeah, I'm oh, old. Uh. And I picked up the bass when I was about 16, and I bashed around with it in my bedroom for a couple of years. Took some lessons, uh, found a local bass player. His name was Dick Kniss. Uh, Dick was uh, had worked with Peter, Paul, and Mary, if you've ever seen, sure, you know, uh, the bass player behind them was Dick Kniss. He lived in a town called Mount Marion, which is kind of between Kingston and Saugerties, New York, which is, you know, right in Ulster County. Uh, he was also John Denver's bass player. And uh, I had taken several lessons from him. And uh, his biggest, he, he really encouraged me. He said, listen, you could sit in your bedroom and bash out songs, all the, play with some other guys, find some guys and get together. So by the time I was 18, I had found a band. Uh, we had put a little thing together, playing mostly original music at the time. I remember it was almost all original music, written by a good friend of mine with the, the great name of Dickie Dickerson, and uh, who I'm still friends with. He's still writing music. And uh, so we performed locally here in Woodstock at a famous club called the Joyous Lake, uh, which had hosted you know everyone from Jaco Pastorius and bands like Stuff to Everybody who came through Kingston, uh, through Woodstock, played at the Joyous Lake. So, wow. my first professional gig, I'd say that was professional, although it was a benefit. I, my parents were there, but it was a benefit. <laughs> they were one thing I give my parents. Let's get back to that: is they were very supportive. When we were kids, uh, my brother, my my younger brother, who's uh, also the, if you spoke to us on the air, yeah. he does Tutto Italiano, the radio yeah. show that the Elster County Italian American Foundation puts on, and um, my brother's band would come in after school at about 3.15, 3.30, and they would bash it out till dinner time, which was 5.15 every night, 5.15. 5.15, the music stopped, we came up, we had dinner, and then my band came in, and we played until about 8. And this went on every day, almost every day after school, every week, and most weekends for a couple of years. My parents were extremely supportive. Wow, that's great. So uh, it, it was. I was about, I would say... I, I kind of bashed around in local bands till I was about 24, 25. And I had gone to work in my dad's business and my brother and I decided we would go out and try to give a go at it. So I, uh, scariest thing in my life, I had to go in with my dad after I'd been working with him and learning the family business for a bunch of years and say, you know, dad, I got this opportunity. I want to go out on the road. 
and I want to play music. And I was very afraid. It took me two weeks to get up the guts <laughs> to talk to my father. And my father's reaction was, you know something? You don't want to be 56 and kick yourself in the ass that you never tried. These are the exact words that he used. He said, so go out and give it your all. He says, you can always come back to the business, but you may never get a chance to do this again. So my brother Paul and I formed a band called The Agency, and we struck out on the road uh, playing the Northeast. We're a Northeast band, so we would play uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Connecticut. They were our main stomping grounds. And uh, for about four years, we were playing close to, I would say, 200 dates a year. Wow. You know, this is when I was told originally, this is what I won't forget, Vince, this is when I was talking to you originally. And you were telling me, yeah, you got into a car to drive 400 miles or 500 miles to play an hour set and then drive home. You know, and I said, yeah, you know, when you're young, that's that's how we did it. Right. Yeah. My brother, Paul, had a 75 Oldsmobile, was it a 98, put 120,000 miles or 140,000 miles on it in one year, Jeez. just traveling. There were, there, were, there were stretches where we would do 30 days at a time and that's, we wouldn't yeah, stop playing. And, you know, I, I had, it, was a, it was a great, a great experience. I was thinking last night, uh, my wife and I were just sitting around looking for something to watch and we put on the old Talking Heads concert film, Stop mm-hmm. Making Sense. Mm-hmm. And I got to sit and talk to her and tell her stories about how we had opened up for the solo projects from, you know, three quarters of the Talking Heads right. that we had gotten to go on tour with Chris France and Tina Weymouth from Talking Heads with the Tom Tom Club. We did a mini tour with them. We also worked with Jerry Harrison and the Casual Gods, got to meet guys like Bernie Worrell, uh, the keyboard player from Parliament Funkadelic. I mean, these were when I was in my 20s. This is what I spent most of my time doing. And wow. Of course, chasing that elusive back then, it was the record deal, right? right exactly, Everybody yeah. wanted the record deal. And, um, you know, we got close. We never quite made it, uh, but I never lost the desire to play. And after we got off the road, I formed a couple of like smaller local bands. We would play, you know, a bit at the local holiday inns, do parties and things like that. And in about 1998, uh, after doing that for a bunch of years and playing locally with a bunch of bands in Woodstock, I, f- I joined a band called Hot Rod. And uh, Hot Rod ended up being together for close to 21 years. Wow. Uh, we're on a little bit of a hiatus right now. We're all getting a lot, or, you know, a lot older. So, uh, But I was able to play with Hot Rod as a weekend band. And even as a weekend weekenders, we would sometimes have 70, up to 70 gigs a year. Right. So it was great. I got to play. And you know... Like me, I mean, you know, you, 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 your entire life is music. I, I would wish my, I, you know, I've had to, I've had to basically spend a good portion of my life in business, but I prefer <laughs> making music for people. And we do it because we love it, right? Yep. Yep. It's the same thing with me. You know, my, my, uh, my grandfather, my father, they were all very supportive. My grandfather was a musician, as you know, and they t- both told me the same thing, you know, do music, but always have something in business or something to fall back on. And, I do. I'm an accountant and do business. I'm an accountant consultant and keeps me busy. But, you know, just like you, the true love is still music. <laughs> always chasing, always chasing that. And uh, it just makes uh, makes us all happy. People don't understand uh, sometimes, but, uh, you know, outside of money, there's always a deeper connection to why we all do this. It really is a calming stress relieving thing even though sometimes it's stressful you know the the run-up to uh i'll never forget the craziest thing happened when we came out to new york to play for you guys so we flew in to new jersey that was the first time i was ever at newark and there's like this monorail system or whatever that you have to take to go to the the rental car and it broke (laughs) <laughs> and we were stuck in the monorail and unfortunately we had no one to talk to because the three people the family that was in there with us were like from germany or something and spoke no english <laughs> and, and uh, there was like the the call for help button like you're having a heart attack button push this button and it'll stop the train well, the train was already stopped, so we kept pushing the button, and the lady kept coming on, and we're like, yeah, it's stopped. We're stuck. And she's like, okay, and then just 
but like no one would come on. <laughs> and we were stuck in there for like 15 minutes with the with this German family that we couldn't communicate to tell them what was happening. So craziest. So all that stress, you know, fly across the country to play for a couple hours and fly back. You know, it's it's stressful. But as soon as you get up on that stage, it all just kind of goes away. And that's, uh, you know. That's the beauty of playing music, I guess. That's why these guys still do it for 60 years. <laughs> you know, Rolling Stones are still going. And it's just like they, they do it. Sometimes they don't need the money, I'm sure. It's just, you know, they, they love it. And it's, it's a deeper passion behind it. So um, did you did you have a big uh, Italian-American music uh, influence? You know, I did not. Uh, I, I'll never forget my parents bringing an ethnic album. I think it was one of those albums that you got on TV. And that now granted, you know, all the Italian singers were big in my household, but sure. my father also served in the military during world war two. And, uh, my dad was a huge, big band fan. Oh, sure. So, you know, um, uh, Glenn Miller, uh, Tommy Dorsey, uh, my dad, strangely enough, was a big Jack, Jack Teagarden fan. I don't know if you're familiar with Jack, Jack Teagarden, but no. he was a little bit more of a jump blues kind of guy. Oh, my dad okay. was, my dad liked the, the rockier stuff. He was, uh, I got to tell you something. He, my dad kept dancing straight almost into his 90s. You know, wow. I think the last time I saw him dance, he was probably right around 90 years old, 91 wow. years old. So um, he really, you know, he loved that kind of music. And uh, my, my exposure to uh, Italian, let's say, more modern classics than the classical stuff came from my own research and from, from looking into it and um, learning about, you know, these great singers like Mario Lanza and guys like Lou Monti. My dad was a huge, um, a huge fan of Louis Prima, loved Louis Prima and Keely Smith. He would never say the two, one name without the other, uh, who we were lucky enough to have Louis Prima Jr. on our, on our radio show, Tutto Italiano a couple months ago. So oh, nice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I came to hear that music and understand what kind of joy. I mean, Ita okay, Italians are passionate people, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons we talk with our hands, <laughs> right? That's one of the reasons that we, uh, my, my ex-wife, God bless her, she used to refer to us as the loud family. She came to dinner with all of us and she said, how can anybody hear anybody talk at this <laughs> dinner table? Everybody's shouting, you know? And, um, so uh, the, the Italian music I was able to, to come into and learn more of my own, especially interviewing these people on our radio show, interviewing the, the, the children of these stars. We were able to talk to uh, Deanna Martin, Dean Martin's daughter. Sure. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, like I told you, we were, had Connie Francis on the show, yeah, which, that's was, amazing. Yeah. which was just a, a, the biggest treat you know, for me to speak to a living legend like that. I, I got to thank the foundation for allowing me to have this show that gets that I, I get to talk to these people and listen to their stories, which are so rich. Yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, coming to the Italian music through that has been, has been good, you know, cause like you said, as a musician, we never stop learning music. There's, right. you can never stop learning about music because it's an, it's infinite. Right. And, uh, you know, so I'm glad that I was able to come to, to learning about, you know, the, the music of my culture and my heritage this late in life. It was just, I feel lucky to be able to do it. And even though it's once every four or five weeks on the radio that I get to sit down and do some deep research and learn about these people and where they came from. And almost all of them are like me, either I'm a second generation or a first generation Italian. So, yeah, yeah. no, it's. It's fun. I'm learning more and more, especially with this show, all the time, you know, interviewing people. I learned a lot. Uh, I just interviewed uh, Carlo Gimarisi, uh, the lead singer of the Buckinghams, uh, the other day. Oh! And uh, that's a great story, too. And then it came out like we're related through marriage. It's just like, what the, what the heck? <laughs> How the heck did that happen? Because he's like, he's, he lives probably, you know, 30 minutes from me in, to, in the Chicago suburbs. And uh, I have a cousin who, with the last name Gimarisi. And, uh, mm. I just brought it up that I'm, you know, I'm from Rockford. And then at the end of the show, he's like, yeah, I miss my cousin in Rockford. I was like, who's your cousin? He's like, B. I was like, B is my cousin. <laughs> it's just like, how did that happen all of a sudden? <laughs> and so it's just crazy, you know, how all us Italians eventually, you know, come back together somehow, especially if you're Sicilian, you know, this, I'm hundred percent and he was a hundred percent. So at some point, you know, it was going to connect, but, uh, it's crazy. It's, it really is crazy. All the stuff I'm learning, but, uh, Getting back into the festival a little bit in the festival world, 
you know, a lot of uh, the guys I've been interviewing and musicians, I love asking these two questions too. I don't really love asking, but it's more of uh, what's next for us as a culture and a community and especially with these festivals. Um, as I've, I've been in the festival circuit now, uh, I started when I was 18, so I'm 30 now, so... 12 years. <laughs> I've been going. You're right? a veteran. You're a veteran at 30. <laughs> 12 years. Yeah. So uh, when I started, there was Italian festivals everywhere. And uh, we were we were going strong and, you know, playing. I'll never forget. We got into San Diego, the biggest one I ever played. And now, unfortunately, it's gone. Uh, you know, we've played Portland, Oregon four years ago. It's gone. And uh, it's unfortunately, I'm seeing this trend where a lot of the Italian organizations are falling off and especially the the festivals. And uh, I'm a little nervous and I want to see what your take is on, especially with this year uh, with COVID. Um, When COVID hit, uh, you know, everybody was worried about, oh, it's going to it's going to ruin Coachella and all these big festivals. And it's like, all right, well, they have money. What people don't realize is. Polish Fest, the church fundraisers that you go to, they have those festivals so they can survive to make it that year and try to go into next year. And, uh, you know, with this year, it's a halt. You know, at most festivals, church organizations, other organizations, nonprofits, they relied on these one or two events a year to survive. And so, are you worried at all about, especially, you know, stick to Italian-American, are you worried at all about the future of Italian festivals and, you know, some of these foundations and organizations that are, uh, are you, do you think we'll be able to continue them or do you see this trend of a lot of them still falling off, unfortunately? You know, I have to trace this back to my parents being first generation. <laughs> um Although my mom was very strong on traditions with the family, uh, you know, the, the seven fishes, uh, Christmas Eve sure. and, you know, uh, Easter being her absolute biggest holiday. She used to make what my mom would call the Easter pizza, you know, that you would have at noon because you fasted at noon on the Saturday before Easter. And at noon, the feast could begin. And sure. that's when we would start. Um, but, you know, they, their parents wanted them to assimilate into American culture, mm-hmm. which is understandable. They were fleeing, mostly fleeing poverty. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my grandparents were, you know, my grandfather on my mom's side was a shoemaker. My grandfather on my dad's side was a coal miner and a janitor, a uh, handyman. He was very much very handy, with, you know, could fix anything. And they wanted their children to assimilate and... I think that culturally that must have caught on to my parents who spoke fluent Italian, but never taught us children. Right. They would talk, they would speak Italian at the dinner table when they didn't want us to know what they were talking about. It was their right. secret code. And I think that the erosion of the culture really came through our, our, our grandparents and the ones who emigrated their desire to to assimilate and integrate into the American dream, the American way of life. Because, you know, like I said, we, we came from Southern Italy, extreme poverty. And, you know, they saw America as a place to be upwardly mobile. Now, maybe the uh, collateral damage of that was an erosion of the culture for the other generations that started to come forward. And, you know, my daughter, although she's been, she wants to visit Italy, uh, she's half Italian. Like I like to say, it's the good half. (laughs) Um, I got to say that. (laughs) Um, she, um, she's very interested in her Italian culture, but I haven't raised her with that same traditions that my mom was raised in. And of course she was raised in because her parents kept those traditions going. So one of our biggest goals with the Ulster County, and I'm sure most of the Italian foundations in the country, is bringing in young people, right. bringing in young Italians to, to, you know, to help the older generation share what our cultures were, share what our traditions were, share where we came from, share kind of how we are with each other and how we talk to each other, how we, how we interrelate as Italians. And, um, you know, That's one of our biggest goals. And one of the things, the Ulster County Italian American Foundation's biggest fundraiser and biggest 
uh, the donations that we give away are scholarships. We provide scholarships to Italian-American high school students, seniors that are in Ulster County. They submit um, essays on what it means to them to be Italian. And uh, they're gone over by, we have a committee that basically goes through, reads all these essays, you know, decides who's going to, who's benefiting of the scholarship. And uh, we're able to do that. And when, and I got to tell you, it warms my heart when I'm able, this year wasn't able to go to the awards meeting, but last year when I did to hear these essays that these young Italians, these high school students are, are, and they're writing about the richness and you hear them talk about their grandparents and how their grandparents had kept, you know, the, the culture and the spirit of, of, you know, what it means deep inside your soul to be Italian. And uh, to hear these young people talk gives me a lot of hope. Uh, but, you know, us as the older generation, and I say this is the older generation because I'll date myself again, you're half my age. <laughs> to see a guy that's, that is half my age that still, you know, embraces, fully embraces his heritage, Vince, that's just, that's just amazing, I got to say. You give me hope is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, thank you. well, that kind of goes into the, the last question I ask uh, everybody on this show is uh, – what do you hope for, uh, for Italian American entertainment in, 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 in general? Um, but, uh, and especially you, you see a little more of it because you're on the entertainment side and, you know, the big part of these Italian festivals is how do you find someone that can appeal to the masses, but also has, you know, that somewhat it's Italian authenticity without just having, you know, an old man up there with an accordion and, you know, <laughs> a lot of, that's great. But, you know, nowadays, uh, like you said, everybody's been assimilated and do you want to listen to that for an hour and a half? Probably not <laughs> anymore in 2020, but, uh, do you have a good feeling from what you're seeing too? uh, these many years on, as an entertainment chair of, uh, you know, others like me, uh, that are younger, that are continuing the Italian American side of it. Um, I, I've been seeing a lot more, um, as I've started this show, Un unfortunately, I don't see a lot of music. Um, there's, I think, a good handful of us, but what I'm seeing a lot more of now, especially with TikTok, I'm not on TikTok, nor do I want to get on, but uh, especially on Instagram, there's a lot of young, teenage, early 20-year-olds uh, doing a lot of this Italian-American comedy right now and uh, really like sharing stories of how it is to grow up Italian and a lot about their grandparents. And that somewhat gives me a little more hope that uh, even if it's not on the music side, that it's going to continue, that even showing it in a comedic way is going to kind of help it continue. And I'm glad they're putting it down because even hearing other people like portray their grandparents in that accent you know, brings back memories. I'm sure it would bring back memories for you. It's just like, oh my God, I forgot about that. Or I, f I miss my great grandfather talking that way. So I think that's, that's a great thing. And I don't know if you're seeing any of this, you know, on the music side. Uh, um, you know, I, I don't really know many that are younger than me, um, unless you've run across them, which I hope I, I really want to find younger Italian Americans that are trying to do this, uh, in the country. Uh, that's my goal well, <laughs> to get us one together. of our one of our performers is Andrew Hoban. Uh, we actually did have a mini festival this year, but when I oh. say it's a mini festival, uh, we had a drive. We did a drive-in movie, and we basically had an opening ceremony uh, that was very small. It was broadcast. Our, our one of our big sponsors is Radio Kingston WKNY, uh, which is RadioKingston.org for anybody that listens to this podcast. And if you're interested. You can go to RadioKingston.org on the web, and if you go to the archives, all the Tutto Italiano, the, the show that we do, the radio show, is right there. And uh, Radio Kingston was able to provide the production facilities for us. Actually, I didn't do anything except we got a local, one of the, an older gentleman, uh, his name is Joe DeSarl, who came. And, uh, you know, he didn't start singing until he was in his late 50s or early 60s. Joe's in his 70s mm -hmm. now. Amazing. Wow. But we were able to have this mini festival, which was really, really helpful. But the young man, Andrew Hoban, Andrew's in his in his early 20s. And uh, he Hoban is a married name. He's got his Italian heritage and uh, he's an opera singer. And he is most certainly keeping that culture alive, Italian opera, which is, you know, sure. opera and Italian, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
I hear I, I hear operas in German, and sometimes, even though I love The Ring and I love Wagner, don't get me wrong, sometimes I hear German opera, and I'm kind of like, man, that's harsh. <laughs> you know, you hear the Italian, it's mellifluous, yeah. oh, it flows, yeah. right? right? So I see guys like Andrew, and then uh, the year that you performed with us, I believe we also had Vanessa Rachi, who was on. Oh, Vanessa yeah. is also a young woman who's a great performer. Yeah. And then when I see, uh, when I spoke to Louis Prima Jr. Uh, a few weeks ago, Louis is out on the road doing more of his father's kind of music now. Right. Louis had bashed around in a couple metal bands, I guess. You know, yep. he's a little younger than I am. And, uh, you know, and now he's out with a band called The Witnesses, which was the name of his father's band. Yep. Uh, and uh, he's out doing the big band thing. So I'm kind of seeing, you know, guys like me who, who really were, you know, looking for that record deal and looking for that whole you know, typical 80s, 90s thing, going back to their culture, you know, and discovering the, the joy and what they can bring forth and what they can share with people. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I see guys like Louis, who's, you know, maybe only, maybe only six or seven years younger than me, and, you know, people like Vanessa and Andrew and you, yeah, it does. It does give me faith. And if you want my prediction for 2021, I mean, uh, we're recording this show. What is today? Today is December uh, 12th, 13th, 13th, 13th. Yeah. So, you know, we have a vaccine on the way, uh, you know, the pandemic, the end of sight to the pandemic is I think within our reach, I think everybody can feel it. And like you said, you, you play music for the same, well, for your soul, you play same music for the same reason I do is because when I get on stage, it brings me that calm. It brings me that center. And we've been without that now. I mean, I don't know how you feel. It's got me, I'm kind of not as, as even keeled no, yeah. as I usually am. And being an Italian, I'm not usually <laughs> even keeled anyway, okay? Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of, I can be up, I can be down. So I, I think 2021 is going to bring almost a flood yeah. of people wanting, not only wanting the entertainment, not only wanting the, the camaraderie of being together and being close and being able to share things together, being able to hug, being able to shake hands, being able to dance. Um, I see once this lifts uh, that even though we were going to be, we're going to be probably, I'm seeing us locked down for an entire year, right? I don't really see things clearing up before March and that'll make it, that'll make it almost an entire year, a year of pent up desire for this, I think is going to, it's going to be a very busy and a very joyous and a very celebratory festival year as soon as things open back up and maybe later 2021, we can get to that. And I can tell you that 2021 and 2022 are probably going to be some of the best years for playing that both of us have ever seen. (laughs) I I think the same. Yeah. I think it's going to be late next year. Uh, but I think late next year, 2022 is going to be crazy. I think everybody's just going to go out of their minds and try to <laughs> go everywhere, every restaurant, every festival, every everywhere. They're just going to because it's it's a lot. And, you know, uh, it, it's tough as a, a musician, too. And, you know, these virtual things are great, but it's not the same people. You can have the greatest production in the world. And still it's going through a tiny cord like this <laughs> and it gets the, the audio level, everything gets compressed to the point that you don't feel it. You know, uh, you can watch Van Halen on your TV and it's still not the same with the best production. You don't feel it in your chest like you're at a concert. It's, it's not the same, right. especially as you as the bassist, you know that. I mean, that's what you're feeling in your chest. You can't okay, really so hear let, the bass at, at home. That doesn't come through very well. So let's, let's look at it. Two speakers or five speakers, depending upon what kind of sound system you're listening to in whatever space you're listening to, whether it's over Zoom or whether it's over the TV, are not live instruments on a stage, whether they're acoustic instruments or they're electrified those instruments are still moving air in a space right yeah and when you get into that space and that air is moving that's completely absolutely 100 percent different from when with this stuff and you know i've been seeing a lot of uh a lot of editorials and essays relating what we're going to go through in the next 10 years to what happened a hundred years ago after the pandemic of 1918 mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, everybody's familiar with the terms, the roaring twenties. Right. Okay. And there was a reason the twenties roared 
And of course, one of the things was coming out of World War One, which, you know, was the first world war. My grandfather fought in the first world war. You know, nobody thought the entire world would ever be at war. This was, this was ground shaking to anyone who had lived up to that point and then entering into a pandemic right, right. in 1918. So when things finally opened up, the floodgates just were like pulled open wide and people started celebrating for 10 years solid. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that coming, Vince. I see too. that coming. Yeah. You know, and so if you're asking me how hopeful I am, back to your original question of what's to come, if the floodgates open the way I think they're going to open, this is going to be a great decade, not only for Italian American and other cultural foundations, but for musicians and just for mankind as a whole. You know, once we're able to come back and experience people close to us, whether they're strangers or people that you know, uh, we're going to find ourselves more grateful, I think. You know, this a lot of division has been brought up because of, you know, we're all divided right now physically, right. socially distanced. Right. Okay, you're being told so, no matter where you go. That's division. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's making our divisions as people a little greater. And I think what you're going to find when all this lifts is that people are going to have more empathy to each other. People are going to understand that, well, I don't agree with that person, but maybe that doesn't make that person wrong. Right. Maybe they are just looking at it a different way. And what I like to say is when you listen to the people you don't agree with, maybe you can learn something. Right. So maybe what all this is going to bring about is a deeper, a deeper love and a deeper appreciation of the, of our own cultures, of the Italian culture that we were brought up in. And that we'll, we're able to, we're going to want to share it more. We're going to want to, Hey, this is who we are. This is why we like to get, get together in great big crowds and celebrate mm -hmm. and have a festival and sit in front of music and dance and clap and laugh. I, I have a lot of faith and I have a lot of hope that things are going to open up. Uh, I read a lot of gloom and doom, but you know, happy news doesn't sell newspapers, right, no, doesn't keep eyes on CNN and things like that. So nobody wants to talk about how this could actually be, end up being a very good thing, you know, it's, and, and you got to be down before you know what it's like to be up. So right. we're all down right now. Let's think, what's it going to be like later 2021, 2022? I think we've got a lot to look forward to. I agree. I, I totally agree with you. I think uh, late next year into 2022 is going to be very interesting. <laughs> It'll be interesting uh, to see how uh, Disney World's going to be packed. Let's just say that <laughs> more than it already has been. That's going to be a weird uh, thing to see how they constrain that because everybody in the world's going to be wanting to come there. But uh, uh, it's yeah. funny that you say that because my daughter, you know, I just I have a new granddaughter, and my daughter keeps saying, "Hey, Disney World," and first it was five years. Now it's three years. I'm kind of like, yeah, let's keep it like three or at least three or four years out at this point. Let's let things get yeah, back to a little, you know, it's going to be nuts over there. But uh, before we end it here, uh, anything you uh, want to say about uh, uh, the festival for next year? You guys have anything in the works? Uh, how do people find out about anything going on? Website, all that type of stuff, Facebook, whatever you got to share about uh, the foundation. Uh, let people know. Right now, we are planning a festival for 2021. Uh, we did it for 2020. We had our first meetings and works. We started to talk about uh, the production. We started talking about the talent that we were going to bring in. Uh, had an excellent, excellent uh, Giovanni Barbaro who handled the, uh, handled the vendors last year. He's a vendor himself. And uh, it all came together. And we had to pivot at the end when we finally decided we can't do a festival. And we did the mini festival, which I wasn't able to tell you. The actual, the main event at the mini festival was everybody got to watch My Cousin Vinny oh. on a, on a drive-in movie theater at oh, a, nice. a drive-in. So that's really what we did this year. <laughs> and um, so uh, we're going to be planning on a festival. At, you know, basically how the pandemic plays out is going to dictate whether or not we can do it. Trying to do a socially distanced festival is just doesn't make yeah. you can't do it. No. It's just impossible because they're usually wide open events where you can walk in and walk out when you want. You can't really control how many people come in. We are going to be planning on a festival in okay. 2021. 
And um, how that's going to shape up, what kind of, you know, what it's going to look like right now, nobody knows or whether or not we're going to be able to do it. But for those of you who are interested or who may want to come, we're the Ulster County Italian American Foundation. That's Ulster County, New York. We're upstate New York. We're about 90 miles uh, Kingston, where I was born and raised and where the festival is held, about 90 miles north of New York City on the New York Straight Thruway, straight shot up to exit 19. And uh, for those of you who are interested in finding out about us, we are the Ulster County Italian American Foundation. You can find us at uciaf.org. And, uh, you know, you can learn about us. You can look at video clips from prior festivals. Uh, You can see what we're all about. Of course, if you're Italian and you're listening to this in Ulster County, reach out to us. Go to uciaf.org. Give us a call. Send us an email. Tell us you're interested. Membership dues. I just paid my dues for our family. $60 a year. It's tax deductible. We have a, try to have a meeting a month where we get together and break bread and talk and have a little presentation. So uh, we, we would like to see as much participation as we possibly can. So, uh, you know, come to our site. Check it out. See where that leads you. There's links. There's Facebook pages that will take you to different places, show you the different events that we're still doing, whether they're virtual Oh, a couple of weeks ago, they just did a virtual trip to Ravello. Hmm. So it's, 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 you know, we're doing things. So even if you, if you want to enjoy some Italian flavor, go to uciaf.org and just start clicking around and, and, and do some, do some, uh, do some investigation. And I think it'll lead you to a place that really brings you back to feeling your Italian roots. Very cool. Well, I'll definitely include all those links, uh, the website, Facebook page, all that stuff, and uh, also include a link for your, your radio show, Tutto Italiano, which is great. I listened to that actually, Connie Francis thing, so that was great. So. so I'm on one week from today, and I will actually be talking to uh, Ray Monti, the son of Lou Monti. Oh, sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I want to. I met him last year. He gave me his business card and all that. I want to figure out the best way to contact him because I'd love to talk to him on this show. Uh, about his You know, dad. I'm going to be calling him this afternoon about our show next week, so I will let him know, and then yeah. I'll connect you too. I'm sure you'd love to talk to him. He's got some great stories. That, I'm yeah, really looking forward to yeah. having him on my show next week. Yeah, I loved talking to him last year. That was great uh, meeting him. So once again, Frank, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I hope everything goes well with the foundation uh, through this pandemic, and you guys you know, keep going strong and can do that festival next year. And uh, let's keep in touch. And hopefully uh, one of these days I can meet, uh, come back in person and talk to you instead of through Zoom. So <laughs> it'd be great. Vince, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to that. And thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for letting me talk about the uh, Ulster County Italian American Foundation and our festival. And, and uh, you know, I wish you the best of luck because you are the hope for the future. Well, thank you. Uh, now I got my three-year-old son, four-year-old son that's got to continue it. So I'm, I'm training him young. So he's, he's going to start out. But, uh, well, thank you once again, everybody. Thank you, Frank. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the Italian American Entertainment Podcast. See you next time.